Would you open your Bibles, please, to Malachi chapter 3? As you see, we're doing the service a little differently today, cutting a lot of things out. I probably will apologize to the Saturday night congregation because I don't think I did a very good job with the sermon last night. I was rushing so fast. I hope they could, I hope they had fast ears because my mouth was moving fast because I didn't think I'd get through all of it, but we made it by cutting everything else out. So Malachi chapter 3. Now, as you're turning there, let me just share with you here at main campus an explanation of what we do when we have guests this year now that we've changed the schedules and where I am. Whenever we have guests, I'm moving around. And everybody said? So next Saturday night during the service with Never Claim, I will be out at North Campus. Next Sunday morning, I will be preaching at South Campus. At 10 o'clock, I'll be preaching here at main campus. And at 3 o'clock, I'll be out doing the offering thought and things during the Never Claim concert at East Campus. So I'll be doing the spin. Whenever we have guests, I'm doing the spin. Pastor, what are you going to preach about next week? Forgiving and asking forgiveness. Everybody say, how to forgive and how to ask forgiveness. That's going to be fun. Each year as we approach our tithing teaching, the open heaven teaching, we approach things a little differently, and this year also. In order to have an open heaven over our lives, we've learned together that we need a heart of obedience, a heart of humility, and we need a heart of faithful tithing. Malachi 3.10, bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test. When you become a tither, you test God. You test the reality of God. And thereby put me to the test. You, got, you want to see that God is real? And thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the window of heaven for you and pour down on you a blessing until there is no more need. Now, I want you to notice the promise is to pour out continual blessings, a flow of blessing, until there is no more need. This is not an instant get-rich-quick scheme, but there is a continual flow of the blessing of God until one day you look around and you realize, my family has no more need. It is a test of God's reality. Now, tithing is probably the singular most spoken-against doctrine in the church today. You see billboards against tithing. You hear hundreds of sermons being sent all over the Internet against tithing tithing. But it's no wonder. Tithing deals with the very core of man's relationship with God. As we'll see today, it's a, a symbol of our submission to his authority in our life. It's where Adam and Eve walked away from God, and it's where Malachi says, return to me and I will return to you. How shall we return to you? Will a man rob God? Well, how will we rob you? In tithe and offerings. God looks at us and says, you want revival. You want to return you want to bring back your walk with me. You want to be close to me. God said, return with the tithe. Now, brothers and sisters, the tithe is fought against because it is not a money doctrine. It's a relationship doctrine. It's a what kind of a doctrine? Say it again, please. It's the one thing that God placed in our life that he asked us to recognize that belonged to him. As we will see today, the tithe, he said, the tithe belongs to me. Now, I use the illustration with you every year, so forgive me if I continue to use my Coca-Cola illustration, my Coke Zero illustration, my Diet Coke illustration, depending on the year. If I were to come to you and say, 
I live on a one-hectare lot in Forbes Park, Halingbawalang. If I lived in a one-hectare lot in, inside Salaob, Forbes Park, and I had a 10,000-square-meter house, 21 bedrooms, two swimming pools, basketball court, tennis court, badminton court, sauna, spa, 10-car garage in which there was a Lamborghini, a Ferrari, a Bugatti, a Rolls-Royce, a Bentley, a Harley-Davidson, help me, a Jaguar, a Maserati, a Mini Cooper, And listen, while you're there, you don't need to worry about food. I have a walk-in freezer that's a full room where I have imported steaks from all over the world. Kobe beef from Japan. Prime rib from Australia. And if you like sushi, every day there is delivered fresh from Tokyo, Japan, the finest uni and salmon and tuna sashimi. And over here, fresh vegetables delivered daily. Enjoy my house. Drive anything you want. Sleep in any of the bedrooms you want. Swim in all the swimming pools. Have a party. Enjoy yourself. Except, down in my basement, underneath my desk, there's a little old refrigerator. And in that little old refrigerator, there is a can of Coke Zero. Please do not touch that can of Coke Zero. What is the first thing you're going to go look at when I leave? It's the rebelliousness in our heart. We always want the one thing we cannot have. And what would happen to our relationship when I came back three months later and found that you had taken my one can of Coke Zero? I would be upset. What would happen to our friendship? It would be over. I gave you everything, and I only ask that you not touch this one little thing. Now, Friday night, I taught you about the blessings of a tither. We went a long time through that. Today, let me teach you the progressive revelation of the theology of the tither. Let me teach you the cycle of tithing and how it reveals its purpose. Let me teach you the methodology of tithing very briefly. Now, let's start with the progression. Everybody say the progression. People always say, why is it the tithing isn't spelled out exactly the right way from the very beginning? There is not a doctrine in the Bible that is. Every doctrine is a progressive revelation. Jesus, the promised Messiah, the very first discussion of Jesus was the promised seed in Genesis. You can't see the whole doctrine by looking at the very first promise, but you begin to see a piece of the doctrine. Now let me briefly walk you through, and this would take like 10 sermons, but let me briefly walk you through this progression of a revelation of tithing. In Genesis chapter 2, beginning with verse 17, the Lord took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. And the Lord commanded the man, saying, You must eat, you may surely eat from every tree in the garden, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. Now he gave him everything. In fact, he later goes on to tell him the, the gold is over there, the black onyx is over there, you can make your wife some bling. God said, Everything is yours except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now when Satan begins to tempt Eve 
Does he talk to her about the gold? No. When Satan tempts Eve, does he talk to her about the black onyx? No. When Satan tempts Eve, does he talk to her about any of the other trees? No. He just talks to her about the one thing that God said, don't touch, it's mine. Now God said in Genesis 2, verse 16 and 17, don't touch it. In Genesis 3, verse 4 and 5, the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. God's not telling you the truth. For God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. In other words, God doesn't want what's best for you. You need this. Everybody say, I need this. Say it again. Now, this is the main thing I hear from people. When people say, Pastor, I can't tithe. I need the money. No, no. You need God. Everybody say, I need God. You don't need that 10%. You need God. You need the blessings of God in your life. But the temptation always comes, this is good for you. God's holding you back. God doesn't want what's best for you. Now, in that temptation, Eve did something very interesting. Genesis 3, verse 3. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it. Neither shall you what? Now, the Hebrew word here for touch doesn't mean like, it literally means to seize control or take possession of. In other words, Eve, Adam, you are to manage this tree just like all the other trees. You are to groom this tree just like all the other trees, but you don't seize or take control of this tree. This tree is mine. Adam and Eve were to take care of the tree, but not to take possession or control of it not to act like it is theirs. Everybody said, act like it's mine. Many, many years ago, I had a driver. And I found that when I was on holiday, he took my car and was driving his friends and relatives all over town. He acted like my car was his car. Now, what happened when I got home? What happened when I got home? What would you do if you found that out? Hasta la vista, baby, diva because you acted like my car is your car. Now, if I told you, you could use it, fine. But no, you were to take care of it. You were to wash it. You were to keep it filled up with gas, check the air in the tires. You were to do what you were asked to do with it, but it's not yours. The same with the tithe. That 10%, we can manage, we can take care of it, we can do what God tells us to do with it, but we don't make decisions about it because it's not ours. Now, the revelation grows. In Genesis chapter 14, beginning with verse 17, after his return from the defeat of Kelolomar and the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet him in the valley of Shava, that is the king's valley. And Melchizedek, Hebrews 7 tells us who Melchizedek is. Melchizedek is Jesus. Who is Melchizedek? It's Jesus before he was born of a virgin. It's the, what we call in theology the pre-incarnate Christ. Melchizedek, king of Salem, Jerusalem, king of Jerusalem, brought out bread and wine, the symbols of salvation, communion before the cross. He was priest of God Most High. Jesus is our high priest. And he blessed him and said, blessed be Abram by God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abram gave him a tithe or a tenth of everything. 
Now Hebrews 7 verse 1 tells us that Melchizedek, this Melchizedek, king of Salem, Jerusalem, priest of God most high, came and blessed him. And Abram gave him the tithe. He actually gave that tithe to Jesus, the high priest. Now we'll get back into that later in our study. So now we see a progression. Now it's not just one tree in the garden. Now it's 10%. It's what? It's what? All right, so the progression has grown now to a quantifiable amount. Jacob becomes a tither. Genesis 28, beginning with verse 20. Then Jacob made a vow saying, If God will be with me and will keep me in the way that I will go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord will be my God. And this stone that I have set up for a pillar will be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give you a full tenth to you. Everybody say, a full tithe. Say it again. Now we see the progression of the truth continuing. It's not just the tithe. Now we see it is a vow of lifestyle. It's a vow of what? Of everything that you give me from this day forward in my life, I will return to you a tithe. It is a lifestyle vow. It is a what? Now many of you are here today and you say, Pastor, I don't even have a job. Neither did Jacob. But he made this lifestyle vow when he, all he had was a staff. He had been thrown out of his family for deceiving his father. His life was a mess. And he said, God, from this day forward, you're not only the God of my grandfather and my father, now you're going to be my God. He entered into a personal relationship with God. He said, God, I'm going to come to this place and worship you. And God, here's a lifestyle vow. From this day forward, of all that you bless me with, I will give you a full tithe. So progressive revelation, something that belongs to God, the garden, 10% Abraham, 10% and a vow of lifestyle relationship, Jacob. Now Moses really teaches us a lot about the tithe. But I want you to understand, people who stand up and say tithing is part of the law and therefore we don't tithe today, they don't know their Bibles very well. Abraham was long before the law. Jacob was long before the law. The Garden of Eden is long before the law. Tithing, like every other part of man's relationship, became a part of the law, but it is before the law. Everybody say, relationship truth. Say it again. Now, under Moses, things became systematized. Leviticus 27, beginning with verse 30, Every tithe of the land, whether the seed of the land or the fruit of the trees, is the Lord's, for it is holy to the Lord. Deuteronomy 14, 22, You shall tithe all the yield of your seed that comes from the field year by year. Numbers 18, 24, For the tithe of the people of Israel, which they present as a contribution to the Lord, I have given to the Levites as an inheritance. We'll get more into that later. So, the law doesn't create the concept of tithing. The law simply systemizes a relationship truth that was already there. Now, following the law, then we get into the Old Testament prophets. Now, the Old Testament prophets don't systematize it, but they teach us another great truth, that this is what people do when they return to God. Ulitanathan, this is what people do when they return to God. Now, I can give you lots of illustrations, but let me get to give you a couple. 2 Chronicles 31, verse 12, after the revival, they faithfully brought in the contribution, the tithes, and the dedicated things. 
So following a, a revival, a move of God, they faithfully begin to tithe. The great revival under Nehemiah, Nehemiah 10, beginning with verse 27. For it is for the Levites who collect the tithes in all of our towns that we labor. And the priest, verse 38, the son of Aaron shall be with the Levites when the Levites receive the tithe. And the Levites shall bring up the tithe to the house of God, to the chambers of the storehouse. Nehemiah 13, verse 12, and all Judah brought the tithe of grain, wine, and oil into the storehouses. So the great revival that took place under Nehemiah that we preached about so much over the years, their response to revival was tithing. And you heard one of our own members who had been in a church, I mean, forgive me, Lena and Rex had been in the church since 1980. But when the great revival hit in 1995, 1994, they began to respond in tithing. Everybody say, a return to God. Now Malachi lays that revelation out very clearly. Malachi 3 beginning with verse 8, will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In tithes and contributions. Everybody say, we rob God. Say it again. Now, a big thing that you hear from people today, Jesus never taught tithing. And Paul never taught tithing. The only people who say that are people who have just repeating what somebody else said and never studied it out for themselves. Jesus very clearly taught tithing. Matthew 23, verse 23. Jesus said, Woe to you, scribes, Pharisees, and hypocrites, for you tithe mint, dill, and cumin, but have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. He said, these you ought to have done, tithing, everybody say, ought to have done, so he taught tithing, without neglecting justice, mercy, and faithfulness. In other words, you don't tithe and then think it doesn't matter how you live. Tithing is not salvation. Did you hear what I just said? You don't tithe and say, well, I'm a tither, so I'm going to heaven. He said, you don't neglect justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Levitic, Luke, I'm sorry, Luke 11, verse 32. But woe to you, Pharisees, for you tithe the mint and rue and of every herb, and you neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done, tithing the mint, the rue, and herbs. These you ought to have done. So he, Jesus taught tithing without neglecting the others. So all right, look at the person next and say, Jesus taught people of his generation to tithe. Now, what about the Apostle Paul? Hebrews chapter 7, beginning with verse 4. Let me read it to you from the NIV. Just think how great he was. Even the patriarch Abraham gave him a tenth of the plunder. Now, the law requires that the descendants of Levi who become priests to collect a tithe from the people, that is, their brothers, even though, they are bro even though their brothers are descended from Abraham. This man, however, did not trace his descent from Levi, yet he collected a tithe from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. In one case, and without a doubt, the lesser is blessed by the greater. So Jesus is greater than Abraham. In one case, the tithe is collected by men who die. But in the other case, by him who is declared to be living. Everybody say, Jesus is declared to be living. Now, you have to understand, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus collected the tithe as the high priest from Abraham. 
Jesus still collects the tithe as the high priest today, and Jesus will continue to receive the tithe as the high priest tomorrow. He is ever living. Everybody say, he's my high priest. Now, this is important that you see because as we'll bring out again here in a few minutes. When you bring the tithe to God, you do not bring it to the pastor. You don't walk up to me and say, Pastor Summerall, I want to give you my tithe. I don't receive your tithe. Jesus receives your tithe. Everybody said Jesus. Now, it's important that you understand that this ever-living one, our Savior, Jesus, receives the tithe because he is the high priest. Everybody say, Jesus is my high priest. He ever lives to make intercession for us, and he also continues to receive the tithe. Now, that's a very quick overview of the progression of the theology. Each one of those is a sermon in itself. Are you learning? No. Are you learning? All right. Let's talk about the cycle of tithing. Now, let me lay out something that I've taught you many times over the years, but I haven't said it like this. I'm going to say it in a different way today, and then we'll get into the teaching. Do you remember how I've taught you that leadership in the church is different than leadership in the world? That you cannot take a leadership style from the world and apply it to the church. That the church leadership is not corporate. We do not act like corporate. The church leadership structure is not military. We don't bark commands and everybody obeys. The church leadership style is not political. The church leadership style is family. It's what? Paul told young Pastor Timothy. Now, Timothy, as you're leading the older women, treat them like mothers. As you're leading the younger women, treat them like sisters. As you're treating the older men, treat them like fathers. As you're, tre as you're leading the younger men, treat, treat them like brothers. Everybody say, family. Now, it amazes me how many Christians today want churches to be led corporate structure or military structure or democracy political structure. It's not that way. It's family. It's what? Everybody say, it's family. In family, you don't run around and yell at everybody and boss everybody. You, you, you listen to everybody. Everybody say, we listen to everybody. We, we work with everybody. We help everybody. Now, I've taught you that on leadership. Also, you need to understand that the business model of the church is not corporate. Everybody say, the business model. The business model of church is not based on business. I'm sorry. The, I should say it this way. The provision model of the church is not based on business. The provision model of the church is based on God's provision is based on what? Now let me show you the difference. Many years ago, Doc, uh, Brother Avanzini used to come over here and he would always say how much he loved being with us and he loved being in the crusades and he loved walking among the people and teaching the people and he loved going to the hospital and visiting people with me. He said, you guys act like church. I said, well, Brother John, you go to churches all the time in America. He said, churches in America are Christian businesses. And, you know, I was always confused by what he meant. I, I did not understand, how is a church a Christian business? I thought, oh, you know, maybe he's just had some bad experiences. Because I don't go to America, and I don't know what goes on over there. 
But as I begin to read the leadership magazines from the West, and as I begin to watch the news, and I begin to talk to people that I've known for many years, and I begin to see the things that I've seen, and we begin to have the influence of Western churches here in our own beloved country, I begin to see that, yeah, Brother John was right. It's not, it's not church, it's Christian business. You see, when preachers stand up and they're trying to figure out how do we get money, everybody say, how do we get money? That's like a businessman thinks. How do I make money? So many churches in the world today, they get their money by buying, marketing, and selling goods and services. Everybody say buying, marketing, and selling goods and services. That's how you make money. Everybody say, that's how you make money. Now, you always know that I have a real attitude with paying for the gospel. And everybody said, and everybody said, I will never attend a paid concert. I will not pay to hear a preacher. The gospel is free. Jesus said, freely you have received, freely give. I can't hear you. Now, for instance, at COP, we have never claimed coming in for it. Three concerts here in Manila, a concert in Cebu, a concert in Davao. 8,000 seats. All right, we sell the seats for 2,000 apiece. We could sell them all out. So five concerts times 8 million a night, at least 16, or more than, more than that, 16 million a night. Even if we only keep half. Five concerts at eight million a night, just keeping half, 40 million pesos. What about that is ministry? Thank you for your enthusiasm. Thank you for your enthusiasm. And if they're going to keep all of it, that's 80 million. Can't you just see Jesus saying, come hear me preach tomorrow. It'll only cost you 2,000 pesos. Jesus said, I've been anointed to preach the gospel to the poor. Now, I know people get mad at me when I say things like this because it has become so acceptable in the Christian world, first for paid music concerts and now for paid preachers. I know of revivalists. I know of guys who preach revival, that they do their services not on Sunday, but they do their services on Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday night, and the members have to pay $20 a night for entrance fee to, for the revival. You know what? You can keep what you got because you've got nothing I want. Are we still here? Everything about the Holy Ghost is free. I mean, please, go back and study it. Go back and study Philip in Samaria with the problems there with Simon. I want to pay you for this. No, you're not. You don't pay for the anointing. Everything about the gospel, everything about the anointing, everything about the flow of the Holy Ghost is free. It's not about getting a hold of something, buying it, marketing it properly, and then selling it at a big profit, and that's how we get money. Now, when I talk to pastors like this, they say, but we need money to do the work of God. No, you need God to do the work of God. Everybody say, I need God. So what is the financial provision model of the church? Now, we're going to see this unfold here. Who does the tithe belong to? God. 
And then what does God do with the tithe? He gives it to support the people who serve. And then who gives us the seed to sow? God. So all right. The entire provision model of the church is God flowing finances to the people of God and the people of God being faithful to return to God his tithe and being faithful to sow the seed that he gave them to sow. So the entire thing is not about how do we get money from people. The whole financial provision model of a church of spiritual ministry is how do we see the blessings of God come upon the people because the people of God will be faithful. One pastor said, Pastor Summer, you cannot trust the people to be faithful. I said, you're right. But I said, that's our job to teach and develop their spiritual lives. Did you hear what I just said? There are no shortcuts to this. Now, yes, you, you can follow the, the business model, the corporate model of churches, but in the long run, it always burns out. It's like a network marketing thing. Everybody gets on it, and there's a lot of money made real fast, but in the end, it always burns out. But if you just do things slowly, I teach pastors this. If you just do it slowly, if you will pour your life into developing the people of God, if you will pour your life into getting them reading their Bibles every day and praying every day, having daily devotions, being in God's house, serving God, Believing God to bless the work of their hands. If when you lead them into a building program, if he will teach them, it's not about pressure, it's about prayer. God will give you the seed to sow. It's not about you losing something. God will give you the seed to sow. If you lead it and do it a little slower, God's financial provision model in the end is a lot better and a lot stronger. Are we still here? Because God's people are growing. This is why you always hear Brother John say, when people teach prosperity, trying to get money from people, they're flowing from the wrong flow. It's all about getting finances to God's people. Everybody say, blessings to us. Now, with that concept in mind, with that concept in mind, remember with me, the tithe belongs to the Lord. Leviticus 27 verse 30. Every tithe of the land, whether the seed of the land or the fruit of the trees, is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. Everybody say, belongs to God. Now, what does God do with what belongs to him? Numbers 18, 21. To the Levites, I have given every tithe in Israel for an inheritance. Now, God says, the tithe belongs to me. You bring the tithe and give it to me. Everybody say, I give it to God. You should never walk up to any preacher in the universe and say, I want to give you my tithes. We're not God. The tithe does not belong to us. The tithe belongs to God. I didn't hear you. One of the young men I trained years ago that has gone far away from what I taught him goes around and tells all of the wealthy people in his church and his leaders, you tithe directly to me. What? Look at the person next to you and go, what? Now look at the person next to you and go, what? What rock fell on your head? What rock fell on your head? Something knocked the sense out of you. 
Now, you just need to understand, God said the tithe belongs to him. It is holy to the Lord. Now, God said, I take what you bring back and return to me. That's why when people say, I want to give God my tithe. No, you want to give God his tithe. Everybody say his tithe. Watch your word choice. It's not yours. Remember, Eve wanted to seize or take possession or act like she owned the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God said, don't you ever touch, don't you ever seize, take possession, take control. He said, the tithe is mine. So we come to God and we say, all right, God, I'm going to return to you what belongs to you. And God says, okay, now I will take what belongs to me. This is a great deal. God said, I will take what belongs to me and I will use it to support sufficient spiritual leadership and ministry in every level, whether it's the people who clean the toilets or whatever, the entire Levitical system that would cover every job description in the church today. He said, I will take that and I will use it to support spiritual leadership to care for you. Everybody say, take care of me. Now, that's a great deal. God said, you bring back what belongs to me and I will take everything that belongs to me and I will use it to care for you. Everybody say, care for me. Now, the Levites were not to have sidelines. Numbers chapter 18, beginning with verse 21. To the Levites, I have given every tithe in Israel. God says, I give it. You don't give it to them. I will give it to them. In return for their service that they do, their service in the tent of meeting, so that the people of Israel do not come near the tent of meeting, lest they bear shame and die. And the Levites shall do the service of the tent of meeting, but they shall, not, but they shall bear the iniquity. It shall be a perpetual state throughout the generations and among the people of Israel that they shall have no inheritance. Everybody say, no inheritance. For the tithe of the people of Israel, which they present as a contribution to the Lord, will be given to the Levites for an inheritance. For I have said to them that they shall have no inheritance among the people of Israel. Now, lay out a couple of things there. Not all of it, but lay out a couple of things. Every single staff member at COP, and some of you need to listen to me, Every single staff member at COP needs to realize God holds us responsible for all the work of caring for the people and caring for his property. So you'll hear me, you'll hear me bark at a staff member. Why did you walk by that piece of paper left on the floor? That's your responsibility. God holds all of us. If we are going to be supported by the tithe, God holds us responsible to care for it. I didn't hear you. But notice, as Levites serving the house of God. We are not to be involved in outside ministry. You say, well, pastor, that's Old Testament law. At some point, you got to get that weird doctrine of there's two Bibles out of your head. There's one God and one character of God from Genesis to Revelation. There's just as much grace, maybe more. There's just as much mercy and love, maybe more in the Old Testament than the New Testament because it's, it's longer. What did each of the apostles have to do? Leave their businesses, leave their families. They had to do the same thing the Levites did. They had to walk away from everything to follow the call. Everybody say, walk away. Well, you know, Pastor Summerall, Paul made tents for about a three-month period one time. Everybody say, three months in Corinth until support arrived. Remember, he was on the middle of his second journey He'd run out of money probably up around Thessalonica and had to support himself until money came in. Then he gave himself full time to the ministry. 
again, in this modern world, preachers want to live their expensive lifestyles but not take care of the people. So they want their fancy jobs and their big salaries and then just show up and preach on Sunday, but they never visit, they never care. Are we still here? They never visit, they never care for the people, and, but they still get the tithe. Excuse me, that's not right. We do not have, folks, forgive me, you know me, I'm a good businessman. Can you imagine how rich I would be in the Philippines after 40 years doing business? Do you realize how many times I've turned down sitting on boards of major multinational corporations through the years? People laugh at me. <coughs> they say, oh, Pastor Summerall, he won't get involved in business. You're right. When God called me, I walked away from business. I walked into the gospel. My job is to give myself fully to the work of the ministry, to give myself to God's people. Are we still here? Now, Nehemiah, chapter 12, verse 44. On that day, men were appointed over the storerooms, the contributions, the first fruits, and the tithes to gather them into portions required by the law for the priests and for the Levites according to the fields of their towns. For Judah rejoiced over the priests and the Levites who ministered. It was not just the revival that made the people be faithful tithers. It was the hard-working priests and Levites. Everybody say, the service of the leaders. Many years ago, when I first became your pastor, I was 23 years old, and a man walked up to me and said, what do you preachers do all week long? I mean, all you do is work on Sunday. You know, after about a year, nobody has ever said that to me ever again. Our pastors are some of the hardest working pastors in the world. I can't hear you. Our pastors, the average pastor at COP visits 200 people in their homes every single week. Everybody say, we work hard. Why do we work hard? Because we love God and we love you. And our job is to pour ourselves into your lives and help develop your walk with God because if God is blessing you, you'll be blessed. Are we still here? Now, this is one of the big reasons tithing is so criticized today. Many businessmen criticize tithing because when God is supporting the, the, the preachers, when God is supporting the staff of the church, businessmen lose their ability to control the pastors by their money and by their personal donations. One of the biggest challenges I have with pastors is they're controlled by one rich family who always keeps giving them money. Everybody say, bought and paid for you can't discipline them, you can't correct them because you're worried about paying your rent next week. But if all the members of the congregation are tithing, the pastor's family is well taken care of and they, there's no utong nang laob. Are we still here? See, any man-made system of providing for spiritual leadership always corrupts the heart of leaders. Let me say that again. Any man-made, I don't care how well-intentioned, any man-made way of providing to, for the financial support of spiritual leadership always corrupts leaders. God's plan, I will bless the work of your hands. Of the increase that I give you, you, the tithe belongs to me. You return it to me. I will take what belongs to me and I will use it to support the pastors. 
Are we still here? Are you learning? Can I keep going? Methodology. Well, first of all, tithing is not that difficult. But you need to recognize tithing always comes at a season of accounting. At a season of what? Leviticus 27, verse 32. Every tithe of the herds and the flock, every tenth animal that passes under the herdsman's staff shall be holy to the Lord. Now, in an agricultural society, that was your accounting. They did not have ledgers and books and computerized systems and stuff. They had a pen. And as the sheep would come in, one, two, they would count them. Every tenth animal was holy to the Lord. Everybody say, an accounting. Now, what are the accountings in our life? Every time you receive a, pay a paycheck, that is an accounting. Whether you get paid daily or weekly or monthly, that is an accounting. So if you only get paid once a month, how often do you tithe? How often do you bring the tithe? Once a month. If you get paid every two weeks, how often do you bring, your tithe, or bring his tithe to him? Every two weeks. If you get paid weekly, what do you do? Now, we say, Pastor, what happens if I get paid daily? My head up. Okay, we, 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 we almost have church every day, but not quite. Okay. Now, people always say, Pastor, on my paycheck, do I tithe the gross or the net? In all of my life, I've done, I've done what my grandfather taught me. I tithe the gross. Grandpa said the taxes, the SSS, all of those things are benefits that you are receiving. Tithe in the gross. So I've always done that. When you close your books at the end of the month on a family business, that's when you tithe. When you sell a piece of property, that's when you tithe. When you receive the inheritance, everybody say, cash in the bank. Now, now please hear me on something. Any preacher who walks up to you and say, if you're believing God for a blessing, give the tithe in advance. Everybody say, liar. God only asks for the tithes that he has already blessed you with. You do not tithe by debt. You do not tithe in advance. Cash in the bank. Everybody say cash in the bank. Now, what about a piece of property? I had a member come to me years ago. Pastor, I just sold my property. Here's a check for one million. Here's my tithe. I said, you know, immediately my brain is working. I've been in his house. I visited him. I said, how much did you sell the house for? Ten million. I said, how long have you owned that house? Three, four, five years. Hmm. How much did you pay for the house? Told me the amount. How much did you spend to fix it up to get it ready for sale? Told me the amount. How much interest have you paid to the bank to finance the, the loan? He told me. I said, now, go back. Ten million is the sales price. Is that correct? He said, yes. Now, deduct the sales price, deduct the renovation cost, getting it ready to sell, deduct the interest that you have paid, and what is your net profit? What is the increase? What is the what? Increase. Call it net profit or call it increase. You tithe on the increase. You tithe on the blessing. On the what? This is why, like, if you sell a car. Now, it used to be we could sell cars for more than we paid for them. Now, some of you don't believe that, but back in the 80s, I could buy a car, fix it up, 
drive it for a year and sell it and make money. You can't do that anymore. Now you buy a car, you try to sell it a year later, it's worth half the value. It's crazy. So like if you buy a car, you buy a Honda, you spend 1.1. You drive it for three years, you sell it for 500, 600,000. Is there a tithe to be paid? Is there a tithe? Is there a tithe? There's no increase. Now, if you bought it for 1.1 and then sold it for 2.5, that would be a miracle increase. Are you getting the point? See, God's not trying to get money from you. God just says only from the blessings. Only from the what? Only from the increase that he brings to your life. Everybody say, from the increase. Say it again, please. Now, when the accounting is done and you've figured out the increase, then you set it aside. Now, I want you to remember with me, Leviticus 27, verse 30. It is holy to the Lord. Leviticus 27, 32. It shall be holy to the Lord. The t holy means set apart. Everybody say, set apart for a holy purpose. As soon as you do the accounting, you need to set apart the tithe that belongs to God because it's not yours. Everybody say, not mine. If I walked up to you today and gave you 10,000 pesos and said, would you please hold this for me and when I see you at East Campus next Friday night, would you give this to me when, when I see you at East Campus on Friday night? Would you put that in your pocket and mix it up with your money? Why would you not do that? Because it's not your money. You would separate it. Is that correct? From the time Shasha was a little girl, as soon as she received her allowance, I said, Shah, what is the first thing that you do? She said, separate my tithe. So every week when she'd get her allowance, I taught her from the very beginning, as soon as the tithe is identified, separate what belongs to God, put it in a separate place in your wallet, Already, many of our families already put it in the offering envelope. They, they have a tithe envelope that they keep with them in their home. They already separate it, put it in their Bible, and then the next time they come to the house of God, they bring the tithe. So it's separated and set apart as holy. Now, Malachi 3.10, what do you do once you've separated it? Bring. Everybody say bring. bring. Now notice, you don't send the tithe. God didn't say send the tithe. Send it with a messenger. God is not into collecting money. God loves you. I, I didn't hear you. There is no collector for the tithe. I know churches right now today in Manila and other Asian capitals that are friends of mine that if you're not there on Sunday and return the tithe that you normally do, the connect group leader will be called by Monday night and the connect group leader will come and visit you Monday and say, where's your tithe? Has that ever happened at COP? No, it's not my job to get in your relationship with God. This is between you and God. This is a relationship issue, you showing your submission to God's authority in your life. So you bring it. Everybody say, I bring it. We don't want to see bank transfers. We don't want to see automatic debits. We don't want to see... Uh, automatic deductions on your credit card, you bring the tithe. Everybody say, I bring it. Say it again.
Now, we did set up this online giving thing for our members that are overseas. Everybody say overseas. Because some of them are wanting to help with the feeding programs and things like that, or they want to help with disaster relief when there's typhoons, or they want to join the Israel tour. So we do have that set up. But even when we set that up last year, do you remember what I told you? You bring the tithe to God. It's about respect. It's about what? God, you have blessed the work of my hands. God, you have been good to me. Now, I come to you and I bring you the tithe of the increase that you have brought to me out of thankfulness and out of respect. God, I bring it to you. It's a relationship thing. It's a what? It's a what? Now, ah, there's so much to teach in so little time. Everybody say, bring the full tithe. How much of the tithe? Full or whole. That means consistency and completeness. Now, it, it amazes me how some people, they, they wonder why the blessings of the tither don't flow to their life when they rob God every other month. How many of you want the blessings of the tither? Would you raise your hand? Put it up high. How much of his tithe do we bring to him? Full. Every time. Now, another thing I've seen as your pastor through the years, when we were poor, it was really easy to tithe because it wasn't much money. I mean, think back with me to the days of, of the 80s. In the 80s, if you made 4,000 pesos a month income, you were doing really good. And so the tithe was 400 pesos. So you didn't think much about it. But now you're making 100,000. And when you begin to count out 10,000 as the tithe, that's a lot of money. It has nothing to do with the amount of money. It has to do with the principle. Do you want God to continue to pour out blessing until there is no more need? I didn't hear you. Then don't look at the amount. Look at the principle. Now, I teach you that when it's very small. I teach you that also when it's very big. Young people say, Pastor, you know, I'm not earning very much right now. I'm, I'm just working at McDo. I'm, I'm just selling, you know, vegetables on the street. I'm, I'm maybe earning 150 pesos a day. My tithe is only 15 pesos a day. It's not about the amount. It's about the principle. That increase belongs to God. Are we still here? If you're making 500,000 pesos a month, well... 50,000. Don't look at the amount. Look at the relationship principle. God has been pouring out blessings on my family. I want those blessings to continue in Jesus' name. I want blessings to flow until there is no more need. So I will not mess around with it when the amount grows. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse. Now, this is the place where you receive your spiritual food and care. How many of you are part of COP? Would you put your hands up high? Everybody's a part of COP. Put your hand up high. Then where do you return the tithe? This storehouse. Now, some of you are listening to me, and we have like, folks, forgive me, I'm going to talk to the Internet for just a minute. Shh, don't tell anybody. They tell me that we have over 60,000 of our people around the world that are watching us. So for all of you Kababayan that are watching us in Norway and Sweden and Canada and Australia and America and Dubai and Abu Dhabi and Qatar and da-da-da-da, 
you send me all these emails and say, Pastor Summerall, you know, I really want to give my tithe back home to COP. That's my home church. If you're part of a church there, that church is taking care of you. They're feeding you. They're visiting you. They're watching over you. Your tithe belongs in the storehouse. Now, if you want to send offerings, that's fine. But the tithe belongs there. Now, some of you have come to me and said, Pastor Summerall, there was this pastor from the Philippines who came through and said that we should not tithe here in this place that we're going because these foreigners don't need our money, but the Filipino churches need our money. So we're going to send all of our tithe back to COP. No. Do you want the blessings to flow where your storehouse is? Where God is feeding you is where the tithe should be brought. I didn't hear you. I love this story. It's one of my favorite stories. We had a lady that came down in the service, and she walked right down this aisle. It was after a 10 o'clock Sunday morning service. She said, Pastor Samuel, I would like you to know that I've transferred to COP. I'm becoming to COP now. I said, well, we're glad to have you. What can we do for you? She said, oh, nothing, but I want you to know that my tithe belongs to Benny Hinn. Now, what am I supposed to say? Whatever. You know, okay. I just smiled and kept going. Well, a couple of weeks later, she called me. Now, don't ask me how she got my phone number. Well, I, I can't say that. I think I know how she got my phone number, the Benny Hinn office. She calls me on the phone, and she said, Pastor Summerall, I'm in the hospital. Would you come and visit? I said, call Benny. She said, well, Benny can't come. I said, sure he can. He's in Singapore right now. He, right now, he's in Singapore. He owns a jet. He can be here in four hours. Call Benny. Would you like his phone number? I have it. She said, Benny can't come. I said, yes, he can. There is nothing stopping Benny Hinn from being here. He has no services today. He has a jet. He has a pilot. He can be here in four hours. No problem. She said, he won't come. I said, ah, oh, now there's the truth. Now, did I go pray for her? Of course I did. But I had a little fun first. Now, a few weeks or months later, she came down the same aisle. She said, Pastor Summerall, thank you for coming to pray for me. And you know, Pastor, I've been doing some study. She said, you know, Pastor... COP takes care of me. I said, yeah, that's our responsibility. The Holy Spirit has entrusted you to our care. The whole, God, Jesus, will hold us accountable for your spiritual growth and development. One day we'll stand before him. And you've been put under our care by the Holy Spirit. So, yes. She said, I want you to know that the tithe belongs in COP. I said, ah, you learned. She said, it was a hard lesson, but I learned. Everybody said, the storehouse. Say it again. Your tithe does not belong in the poor little church in the province where you grew up. If we're feeding you, we take care of you. The tithe belongs here. Are we still here? Now, again, you can't make, it's not our call. The tithe is not ours to make decisions with. We take the tithe that belongs to him and we do with it what he said. Bring full tithe into storehouse. Everybody say, do what he said with what belonged to him. Now, ushers, would you make yourselves ready? Did you learn something today? Now, this is how the work of God receives financial provision. It is all about God blessing you. Everybody say, all about God blessing me. Now, we're passing these out to you. I think it's a very beautiful design. We have a beautiful little, if you get it, pop open the window. 
the window comes open. Because you're going to open the window of heaven with your tithe. Everybody say, open the window. I think it's cute. But also, tear it off. And fill it out. Name, cell phone number, email address. You say, why do you always go for the email address and the, the cell number? Because, especially, forgive me right now, especially with this new Shelby thing, we've done all the, the transfers of data at the end of last year, and we are, we are not happy with some of the data transfer. So we're really trying to double check. We want to make sure that we can call you and visit you and care for you. Now, we will check the cell numbers and email addresses. After that, these will come to me. They will go into my prayer bench at home. Every day in the morning before I leave home, I lay hands on my prayer bench and pray for all of our tithers. These will not go to anybody else. No one will ever call you. No one will ever follow you up about your tithe. We just, we just don't do that. My job is to teach you about your relationship with God, not micromanage your relationship with God. The other thing I would ask that you do is that you take the card that's left, stick it in your Bible, and from time to time, read it and remember the promises of the tither. Now, the other thing is we've laid it out in a way that it becomes a really nice straight-edge ruler to underline your Bible. Method with our madness, all right? Really good for underlining in your Bible. Now, let me talk to some of you who are not tithers. First of all, how many tithers are here? All the tithers stand up. Give them a hand, everybody. All right, you can be seated. Now, those of you that did stand up, we're not about condemning you, but we're, we are into helping you. If you're here today and maybe you're like Jacob, you don't even have a job, you have nothing. What does it cost you to make a vow to tithe? It costs you nothing. You're like Jacob. You've got nothing. Of all that you bless me with, God, I will return to you the full tithe. Test God. Some of you have been looking for a job for six months and you haven't been able to get one. Test God. Make a vow. But keep your vow. Everybody say, keep my vow. Don't make vows to God that you're not serious about. It's better to not make a vow than to make a vow and not keep it. Some of you, you said, Pastor, I've been a very inconsistent tither. I heard that I should go and figure out how much I've stolen from God and repay it and a 20%. No. Jesus just says, go and sin no more. Everybody say, fresh start. Now, folks, this is the beauty of forgiveness. If you've messed up, Ask God to forgive you. Start fresh today. Everybody say, start fresh today. All right. Would you put your tithe in the red envelopes, please? Put your seat. Don't move yet. Put your seat in the blue envelopes. Fill out the little card. Keep the big portion of the card for your Bible. It's a great underlining tool. I'm always looking for those in my Bible. All right. In the balcony, we have the baskets out. South Campus, East Campus, North Campus, here at Ground Floor, come. Bring your tithe, your seed, and your vows before the Lord. Just whatever you're ready.